Hallelujah. Remain standing if you would. Uh, so honored uh, to get to be here with you tonight. I know this is wrapping up your revival, uh, so no pressure, right? You're supposed to really bring it at the last couple of nights. But before you are seated, I want to give honor where honor is due. It, it's like Pastor said, this is the first time we've got to meet. Um, but I'm excited about being here, excited about the spirit of this house and what I believe God's doing here and wants to do here. And before we get into the word, would you give honor where honor is due and thank God for your pastor and his whole family. Come on, tell them you love them. <clears throat> and thank you guys for letting us come here. Thank you for doing all of this. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this or not, but pastoring is not a lot of fun most of the time. It is so not fun that I went and planted a church and then said, I've had enough of this. I'm going back home. That's how much fun it is. And your pastor's been here serving faithfully. They deserve your honor, your love, your support, and their in your prayer. Tell them one more time you love them and you honor them and you thank God for them. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you again, Pastor, for letting me do this. All right, I'm going to read just one verse to you. I want you to grab your Bible. Go with me to the book of Galatians, chapter number 4. The book of Galatians, uh, chapter number 4. And it, if I get down here amongst the people will it mess anything up nope okay um how many of you just by raising your hand how many of you you've been to the ramp before let me see oh a handful of you. how many of you've never been to the ramp i don't know what's the matter with you we're right up the street how many of you never even heard of the ramp wow <clears throat> all right imagine the most intense church service you've ever been a part of multiply it by 432 and stretch it over three days. That's what the ramp is. Right? And the people that have been there say, yes, that's exactly what it is. We want you to come hang out with us. We're in Alabama. Um, as Pastor said earlier, I grew up in that area. This is, not, this is not rural to me. I get you. I get you. The town I grew up in, I, when I was driving through it, said Belleville. That's how you pronounce it, right? 441, I'm with you. The town I grew up in had 600, a little bit bigger, but we lied probably on most of that. We didn't have red lights. We didn't have grocery stores. Um, didn't know what any of that was. I'd never flown on an airplane until I was in my 20s. I get you. I'm with you. This is home to me. This is not, this, and where we live now in Hamilton is just a little bit bigger. It's got maybe five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people. And my mother-in-law will not let us call it a small town. We have to speak faith over it and call it a booming metropolis. So it's an honor to be in this epicenter, this hub, this booming metropolis of Belleville tonight. But we grew up in that area. I grew up, I mean, I'm talking about far back in the woods. Far, y'all know what I mean? Of course you do. Far back in the woods. Where you had to, you had to pipe in sunshine. We're so far back in the woods, right? Poor. We, we had to use hoot owls for roosters. That's how far back in the woods we were. I grew up on a chicken farm, and it's not the kind of chicken farm that you think. When I say chicken farm, you think, oh, his father had chicken houses, and they raised chickens to sell to big companies for meat or for eggs. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not the kind of chicken farm I grew up on. I didn't grow up on a chicken farm where we sold eggs or where we sold meat. I grew up on the kind of chicken farm where you raised them to fight. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? Far back in the woods. And then me and my wife, we got married 
Um, when we were younger, she was 18. I was 22. We got married. We were serving in the ministry. We were there for about 15 years. Then we moved to Knoxville because I'm an Alabama fan and I was going to win the whole state to Jesus. It didn't work out, so I dusted the shoes off my feet and went back home. And uh, we were there for about five years and then we moved back. We're still a part of the ramp. And I teach at the ministry school there and I'm a teaching pastor there on staff and part of the leadership team. And then I get to come out and get to do fun stuff like this. So it's an honor to be here. All right. If you hadn't found Galatians by now, you probably never will. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 19. I'm going to read just one verse to you. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 19. Just one verse. And it records these words. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. And that's all we're going to read. Now, I was raised in the Baptist church. I grew up, I've been in church since I was two weeks old. I didn't come from Christian parents, but I had Christian grandmothers. And they raised me in church since, since as far back as I could remember. We grew up free will Baptist. That's a little bit different than most Baptist denominations. Y'all know about Free Will Baptist out in Belleville? Out in the booming metropolis? The Free Will Baptists believe that if you got saved, you could lose your salvation. You still had free will. Not only could you lose your salvation, according to my pastor, you probably had. Depending on what kind of week you were having, you could have lost it several times that week. Anytime you had an inappropriate thought or said a mean-spirited word or messed up or you lost your salvation and you had to get born again, again, and again, and again, and again. And we would always call them to the altar. They would always pray the sinner's prayer. I have prayed the sinner's prayer more than everybody in this room combined, guaranteed. If anybody's going to heaven in this room, it is me. If I'm not saved, nobody's making it. Because my pastor growing up, my pastor, he had one sermon. Not two, not three, one. And his one sermon went something like this. You're going to hell. That was it. No answers. No solutions. No way out. You're going to hell. It didn't matter what the occasion was. You're going to hell. Every Sunday, you're going to hell. It didn't matter what it was. You know what he preached on Christmas? He didn't preach about the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He preached that you are going to hell. Do you know what he preached on Easter? He didn't preach about Jesus' victory over death. He preached about how you were going to hell. You know what he preached on Thanksgiving? You're going to hell. Fourth of July, you're going to hell. Mother's Day, you and your mom are going to hell. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I grew up with those altar calls that get you real good and scared. If you were to die in a fiery car crash on the way home tonight. Y'all remember those? Some of y'all do remember those. We lived three minutes from the church and my grandparents drove me. They drove eight miles an hour. It was the scariest eight mile an hour drive of your life. Grandma, slow this sucker down. I can't stand to see you burning in a fiery car crash like the preacher talked about. You've never seen a young boy pray the way I prayed on that three-minute car ride back home. Why? Because I was going to hell. 
So I grew up in that. And when I got a little bit older, I, I, I encountered a, a, a dear friend. He's still a dear friend of mine today. I talked to him today who led me into the deeper things, who led me into Pentecost. He was church of God of prophecy. I don't know about that. Church of God of prophecy. And he taught me about the gifts of the Spirit and the moving of the Spirit. And I got filled with the Holy Ghost when I was 14 years old. And then I started going to this rowdy Pentecostal church. I don't mean these cute Pentecostal churches like we got today. I mean rowdy Pentecostal. How many of you know what I mean when I say rowdy Pentecostal? I'm talking about rowdy. I'm talking about you ain't even worshipped right yet till you pulled something. Right? If everybody ain't sweating, we ain't even started yet. I'm talking about churches so far, far back in the woods, as soon as you pull up, you think, where are the snakes? I know they handle snakes. That's how far back in the woods that we are. I'm talking about rowdy Pentecostal, right? Preach holiness, mean as a snake, but would preach holiness and speak in tongues. You couldn't wear anything above your toes if you were a female. You couldn't wear wedding rings. You couldn't watch baseball or football on TV. You couldn't go to a game. You couldn't enjoy life. Smiling was a sin. You were not allowed to smile or experience the emotion of joy at all. Right? And we look back on those days and we think, man, there was so much good and there was so much bad. But a couple of things that I did learn growing up, and this was always taught to me, they always taught us, number one, that Jesus, that God came in Christmas 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. We always would preach that, that God became human. He became like one of us so that He could redeem us. It was one of the most amazing revelations, if you ever think about it, where Emmanuel, God, is now with us. We preach that he came then and we preach that he is coming again how many of you believe he is still coming again so we preach that he did come back then and he is going to come again but the way we talked about it we would preach Jesus showed up then and he's going to show up again but right now we're having to live in some form of absence that if he if, at least if he's not absent he only comes from time to time we even talk about it like this in church Woo! He showed up tonight as though he were not here last week. But finally, we sang the right song long enough, loud enough, and we talked him into showing up. Right? We even preached this in our sermons, and I've done it, where I've said things like, he will, he will show up in the middle of your storm like he showed up for the disciples. And that's true. But we say that as though if you're not in the middle of a storm, he's not showing up. And so we preached that there were two comings of Jesus. He came as a baby 2,000 years ago, and He's going to come again in glory and in majesty, and you just got to grind it out in the middle. But there was a great Christian writer about 1,000 years ago that said this. He said, there are not two comings of Jesus. There are three. That He came to us as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes 2,000 years ago. And He's going to come as a majestic King at the end of all things. But in the middle, we're not living in His absence. In this middle, He is coming to us over and over and over again. In ways that are humble and in ways that are hidden. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I meant to tell you this earlier. I, I brought two sermons in the gun. And I decided to preach the least troubling tonight. And if you can survive that, come back tomorrow. 
He came as a baby. He's going to come as a king. But in the middle, he is still coming to us over and over and over again in ways that are hidden. And sometimes when he shows up, he is coming to us in ways that we see. But more often than not, he is coming to us in ways that we don't want or ways that we don't expect. He is coming to us in ways that are hidden. Being, serving God is not about waiting on an absent Jesus. It's about attuning our spirit to a hidden Jesus. So we preached this when I was growing up. We preached this all the time. That God is absent now and we're just waiting. We're just waiting. We're just waiting. Nothing we can do about it. We're just waiting. If you sing long enough, loud enough. If you hit the tambourine just right. Two times a year, he might show up. They would always tell us this too. They would say, listen, you are not allowed to have sinner friends. Do not talk to sinners. They might get sinner juice on you. Don't talk to sinners. And they would always use the Scripture in, in Corinthians. Evil company corrupts good manners. Don't talk to sinners. But twice a year, we would have revivals. And you know what they would tell us leading up to the revival? Bring all of your sinner friends. I don't have any. They taught us these things. They taught us about we're living in an absence, but we're not living in an absence. We're living in a hiddenness. The hiddenness of God. And then they would teach us things like this, that God is reactionary. That in order to get God to do A, I have to do B first. And if God's not doing A, it's because I've not done B properly, or long enough, or loud enough. <coughs> and God is not reactionary. Let me say this way. Things do not happen to God. God happens to things. <laughs> this is what the early fathers taught us about Jesus' baptism. When Jesus got baptized, the waters did not purify Jesus because things don't happen to Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, He purified the waters so the waters could turn around and purify us. Because things don't happen to Jesus, Jesus happens to things. This is the same vision we get when we see Jesus walking through the wilderness. The wilderness did not purify Jesus. Jesus purified the wilderness. So then the wilderness could purify me and you. This is what happens at Easter. Death did not happen to Jesus. Jesus happened to death. And whatever he happens to, he heals. God is not reactionary. He is not, he is not taken off guard at all by everything that's going on. Regardless of what your political leanings are or what you think about masks and vaccines, all that stuff. God is not like, oh my God, what are we going to do? I didn't see this coming. Things don't happen to God. And we talk about God like He is emotional. Like He's reacting to everything. This is how we talk about it. We'll say this. God's just about had enough of this. Number one, you've had about enough of it, and we're projecting it onto God. Number two, what is that just about enough? Does that mean we can keep going a little longer? Your mom ever tell you that as a kid? I've had just about enough. Which means good, it's not time to stop yet. Until you've had enough. 
God's had just about enough. He's about to come down and fix everything. Which means the person I voted for is going to be in the White House and they're not going to do anything I don't like. That's what we think. We, that's what we mean. We say God's going to fix it. Am I making any mad now? You ain't even ready for tomorrow night. <clears throat> God's not reacting. God's not waiting on your obedience to move. Hang on. I know you're involved. I know, I, know, I know we hate that because we think that everything is contingent upon what we do. And it's not. I grew up in the Word of Faith movement where they taught you that everything you do, that everything God does is in response to something you do first. Which makes no sense at all. All of creation happened and we weren't even here. Who was He responding to? We taught people growing up that you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. How much faith did Lazarus have? Lazarus was dead. I grew up all the time, people telling me this. They say, God never asked you to do something you can't do. And I quit preaching that because that's stupid. God asked, He told a dead man to get up. He told another man to walk on the water. You can't do that stuff unless God tells you to do it. And then every time God gives you a command, He gives you the grace to perform the command. God is always previous. Even when we are obedient, we are only obedient because God empowered us to obey. With me? Now, God's not reactionary, but it is true that whatever God's doing in the world, He won't ask us to participate in it. That what God's doing, He asks us to participate. This is why Paul called us co-laborers with God. And this is where we get when we get to Galatians. I love the book of Galatians. Many people believe it was Paul's first letter. It looks like Paul's first letter because it's not polished. Paul starts off, Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ, what are y'all doing? In his later letters, he says sweet things like, Paul and Apostle, every time I think, I just cry and I pray for you. Remembering you, my dearly beloved children. Not what he says in Galatians. Paul, an apostle, every one of y'all need to be accursed. Paul loses it. At one point, he calls them idiots. Which makes me feel so much better. He's going off. You were running well and somebody hindered you. You're believing another gospel. And I don't care if an angel comes to you preaching it. Let that angel be accursed. And then Paul finally composes himself. And he says this. I am travailing in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I preached this message for Christmas back at the ramp. And this is what I entitled it. How God becomes human. God becomes human in the lives of others through you. I was really going to mess with people and I started calling it becoming mothers of God. We can get real free. We're fine with being children of God. But Paul says, I'm giving birth to Christ. Like Mary gave birth to Christ. I am birthing the work of Christ into your life. 
pastor said earlier, we're Pentecostal. Right? No? I just looked at y'all. Y'all look weird at me. Like it was a trick question. We're Pentecostal. Got that. Some Pentecostals were real arrogant about being Pentecostal. They're like, oh, they're not a tongue talker. They can know and it's not possible for them to love Jesus as much as me. You ain't never been cussed out till you've been cussed out by a tongue talking church mother who you cut off in the parking lot. Grumpy holiness is what I call it. We're Pentecostal. And when you're Pentecostal, there's a couple of verses in the Bible that we claim as ours. That, that we stand on that makes us unique from everybody else. Right? One of those verses is for sure. I mean, this is like our, our mini Pentecostal canon. One of those verses is Ephesians 4. About apostles and prophets evangelists and pastors and Baptist church ain't talking about apostles. We still talking about apostles. We certainly don't know what it means, but that don't stop us. We let it fly. We prophesy. We prophesy to everything that moves. We prophesy to the stop sign. Because we Pentecostal. Right? Prophesied more fake stuff than the weatherman has missed it, but it doesn't stop us, nevertheless. I was trying to prophesy a win for Alabama last night. My words fell to the ground. <clears throat> Another Pentecostal verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? Come on, talk to me, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Where he talks about the gifts of the Spirit. We're like, yes, Ephesians 4, apostles and prophets, that's ours. 1 Corinthians 12, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation, discerning of spirits, prophecy, laying hands, miracles, healing. That's ours. Oh, glory to God. Just feel it talking about it. Right. That's ours. We claim that. Then you know what else we claim? We claim 1 Corinthians 14. Paul talks at length about speaking in tongues. Says some stuff about women. We don't know what to do with that. We just read right past that. Keep going. We just say stuff like, ah, that's uh, blah, that's cultural. And I believe it is, but we just, we just say that when we don't understand what it means. If your right hand offends, you cut it off. See, that was cultural. We just say that, right? Jesus said, if your right, if your right hand offends, you cut it off. And then Jesus said, if your enemy smites you on one cheek, offer him the other one. Ah, that was cultural. There's something about the Jewish stuff. There's no way he meant that. And if your enemy wants your shirt, give him your jacket. And if your enemy, if the person that's mistreated you, if the lady that you cannot stand at work wants you to walk with her one mile, go with her two miles, ah, it was the thing back then. First Corinthians 14, Paul says things like, I speak in tongues more than you all. And we just say, yes, Paul is one of us. So we claim these verses. You know what verses we don't claim? We claim Ephesians 4. We claim 1 Corinthians 12. We claim 1 Corinthians 14. You know what verses we don't claim? 1 Corinthians 13. Where it says if you do all of this stuff and don't love your neighbor, you are sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. 
I've seen some people so spiritual they can't even have a regular conversation with somebody outside the faith. You're not manifesting God to them. We're not called to just sit in our building and lay hands on each other and see how many times we knock each other down. That gets old after a while. See how many times we can prophesy to the other one. See how many times we can pray for one another. We don't claim 1 Corinthians 13. Do you, we not see what Paul is doing? He talks about 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit. He talks about 1 Corinthians 14, speaking in tongues. And he dovetails that around this. If you're doing any of that and you don't have love for your neighbor, it amounts to nothing. Because these three things endure. Faith, hope, and love. Not your tongues, not your prophecy, not so somebody can say, Woo, girl, child, you anointed. Maybe you are anointed, but if you're anointed, you're not anointed for you. You are anointed for somebody else. God gave you those gifts to serve the world with them. Not show them off like trophies in church. This is why when Jesus would heal people, he would say, now don't you go tell anybody. We heal people. We got videos and Instagram and YouTube and reels and we're writing books. Right? Laid hands on somebody. Almost got them. I think they got healed. Here, buy my book, $14.99. I saw something the other day. How to, a course, an e-course on how to raise the dead for $99. God bless us Pentecostals. We can be as crazy as the day is long sometimes. And it immediately made me think of when Peter and John prayed for people down in Samaria, the magician Simon Magus came and said, I will give you money if you'll give me the ability, if you'll give me this power to lay hands on people and then get filled with the Holy Ghost. That's exactly what we're selling. If you'll give me your money, I'll teach you how to do the stuff. We're not seeing miracles, not because we're not praying enough, not because we're not fasting enough. I hate fasting. I hate it. I refuse to do it. In my younger days when we were part of the ramp, we fasted all the time. It took me years. We would go on these Daniel fasts where all we could eat was vegetables. And then we would have to travel around the country preaching and ministering. You know how many, you don't know how many bowls of Cracker Barrel corn I have eaten in my life. It took me years to be healed and my heart to be turned right toward Cracker Barrel. God had to do a work. I'm going to say Jesus fasted and prayed and sought God and called on heaven and then laid hands on somebody and they were healed. What does it say? He was moved with compassion. We're not getting people healed because we want them healed for all the wrong reasons. Healing will flow from our fingertips once their brokenness really grips us. Once we are consumed by the pain and the suffering of others. That's what it means to be Christian. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what the gifts on your life and my life, that's what they're for. Not to get preaching gigs. But to heal broken people. To make God, to to, to enflesh God to somebody else. Think of it. You raise somebody from the dead. You'd have a YouTube channel by midnight. 
partner program and everything. We want all the right stuff for all of the wrong reasons. We'll learn to raise the dead by watching some videos on the internet. You don't learn to heal the sick by sending in $25 to your favorite preacher every month. Jesus was moved with compassion. Then he healed. This is how God becomes human. God becomes human through us. To the world. When I say become human, I don't mean what we do in church. I don't mean what we do on Sunday morning when everybody's here and got their game face on. I mean what you do on Tuesday. Friday morning. Monday afternoon. You know, in Jesus, we're talking about giving birth. Because Paul says, I gave birth to Christ in you. We, we understand Paul is referencing Mary, but there's a couple of other women in Jesus' story. I'm closing. This is closing number one. I'm closing, which means nothing. There's a couple of other women in Jesus' life. There's a woman standing in the temple named Anna. And when Mary comes to the temple and Elizabeth comes to the temple, Mary, uh, Anna is standing over in the corner. And she's not the one carrying God. She's just the one standing in the corner and gets to glimpse what God is doing through another and she celebrates it. At some point, our churches have got to get over our insecurity and our competition. And if we see God doing something in another church, we'll just stand by like Anna and celebrate that somebody else is giving birth to the move of God. Because sometimes you're not called to be Mary. Sometimes you're called to be Anna. Sometimes you're not called to sit on the right hand or the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his temple. Sometimes you see, we, we coined this phrase servant leader. And Jesus never talks about that. Jesus just says servant, period. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not Mary in somebody's life. Maybe you're Anna and you get to see God using another. And if it brings one soul to Jesus, it's worth celebrating. But then after Anna, there's another lady named Elizabeth. Elizabeth is an old woman. Old. Old. Older than dirt. Decrepit. And she's been believing God for decades for a baby. And finally the angel comes to her. And she's pregnant. After Decades of asking God and believing. She's finally pregnant. And then what happens immediately after that? This old lady has her young cousin show up and say, hey, I heard you were pregnant. But guess what? I'm pregnant too. I'm talking about Mary. And I'm pregnant with God. Talk about getting one-upped. 
Y'all know the one upper person? We've all got that person in our life. We've all got that one person. When I was a kid, I did this. Oh, well, when I was a kid, I did that times 18. I did that way more than you just did. Like, okay. You socially inept psycho. Elizabeth, I'm finally pregnant. I've been asking God for this for years. Mary, I didn't ask God for it. And what does Elizabeth do? She does not allow envy to creep up in her heart. She does not allow bitterness or jealousy to creep up in her heart. She makes room for Mary in her house. John made room for Jesus only because Elizabeth made room for Mary. And John watched his own mother make make room for Mary. And then John learned how to make room for Jesus. And sometimes you're not Mary and sometimes you're not Anna. Sometimes you're Elizabeth called to make room for the person that is carrying. That is carrying something from God. I've preached at many, many conferences in my life. You cannot imagine how many. I'm getting kind of old these days. I'm like, when are they going to quit asking me to preach all these youth conferences and youth camp? I'm old enough to be these kids' parent. And there's sometimes like this where I'm the, the guy on the last night supposed to wrap it all up. And then there's many times where I'm the guy on the first night and I think, you know what? It's not going to end tonight. Maybe I'm called to be Elizabeth. Maybe I'm called to make room. Maybe I'm called to be John the Baptist to make room for what God is going to usher. Maybe it doesn't come through me. Maybe it comes through those coming after me. We've got to be okay with being Anna and we've got to be okay with being Elizabeth. You with me? Are these Bible characters confusing you? You're like, I don't know who these three women are, but you keep talking about them an awful lot. Sometimes you're Mary. Sometimes you're the one that God is moving through. And if He's moving through you, you can rest assured He's moving through you for somebody else's sake. Because God moved through somebody else for your sake. God gave Mary the gift of life. And Mary responded by giving God a gift. The gift of flesh. She enfleshed God. What are you called to do? I remember as a young man, I was always chronically gripped by this sense of, oh my God, what am I going to call to do? I'm, I'm going to forfeit my purpose. I'm going to miss my moment. I'm going to miss my destiny. All this stuff. And if I'm, about, I'm about to turn 40 and now I don't think like that at all. I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to enflesh God. Into the world. However that comes out is however that comes out. I'm not even worried about that. All I know is I'm called to carry Jesus. I'm called to birth Christ in others. We think that means microphones. And ministries. And YouTube channels. And instead, instead it means sitting down with coffee. Over across the table of a single mom that's struggling and carrying Jesus to her. Sometimes it means feeding people. and Sometimes it means sitting down and locking arms with somebody that voted differently than you. Oh my God. Can't do that because they're all going to hell, right? 
She said that nonsense. All. I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for this. I don't know how you can be a Christian and vote for that. I don't know how you can be a Christian and think that God cares about American politics. You read Revelation and find America, you're reading it wrongly. You read Revelation to find China and Russia and America and Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci. I promise you, that's not what John was talking about. John was living in the first century under Roman oppression. Christians were being boiled in oil, pulled apart with horses, and crucified upside down. He doesn't care about you having to wear a mask to Walmart. remind you. Nothing compared to what's coming tomorrow night. I'm just pushing a little bit to see what I can get away with. We're called to carry Jesus. To birth Jesus into the lives of others. That's what you're gifted for. That's what you're saved for. That's what you're anointed for. Pentecostals, we have this idea. That I, I, I've heard Pentecostals say this my whole life. You start talking about this, you start talking about, you start talking about God becoming human through your life to somebody else, and we'll say stupid stuff like, "Oh yeah, I'll just, I, I'm, I'm an intercessor. I just take care of it in the prayer closet." That's a lie. We don't need you in the prayer closet. We need you at the dinner table and we need you in the streets and we need you out front shaking hands and hugging necks saying, how can I serve you? I'll close with closing number two. I'll close with this. Had a dear pastor friend of mine, pastors a huge church, about 7,000 people in Huntsville, Alabama, which is the biggest city in Alabama, not Birmingham, Huntsville. And huge church, huge city. There's another church in that city that has thousands of people. They're a very popular church in the southeast. They've got campuses everywhere. They run into the 60s and 70,000 members showing up every week. Hell, I think that many people in the state. And there was a young man in a local high school there. A young man who came out as gay. Came out on social media saying he's gay. And the bullying got so bad, nobody was hearing him, nobody was listening to him. This happened just about two years ago. He hung himself. Killed himself. Took his own life. Wrote a letter about it. And the massive church in that city with 60,000 people, they rushed to the school to reach out. Any kids that needed prayer, or needed anybody to talk to, they reached out. We're here for you. What can we do? They loved them at school. And it came time. I'm really going to mess with some of you.
came time, the family of the young boy who had come out as gay, who had come out as gay and had taken his own life, they had went to, they'd come to the pastor of the church, the pastor that had been reaching out to the school. They said, "We need a church to hold his funeral. Can we use your church?" The pastor said, "No." Say anything? Let me just make this statement. If your mind immediately goes to, so glad they stood up for the truth. We are not serving the same Jesus. So then they go to my friend who's got a church of about 7,000. They said, they won't let us. Can we hold it at your building? He said, absolutely. I didn't go, but after it was over, he told me about it. He said, he said, I've never seen so many rainbows in my life. Thousands of people showed up to, to celebrate the life, to celebrate this young man and to mourn his death. And he said, and I made sure every volunteer that we had was standing out in the parking lot hugging every neck of every person that walked through that door. And I didn't care what they were wearing. And I didn't care who they were holding hands with. And I didn't care who they were walking in with. Or what they were dressed like. Or what they looked like. Because we were called to carry Jesus to them. Not most of us. We just pray in the corner. We're afraid of getting around the sinners. Might get some sinner juice on us. This is something else my church told me growing up. Closing number three. I'm going to make. I'm going to say a phrase, and when I say this phrase, if you agree with it, don't say "Amen" because I'm going to disagree with it. It's going to be weird. But I was told this growing up my whole life, and you, you know, I just gave that disclaimer. You know how many times I've said this? Everybody, like, "Amen." Well, that's all right. This is going to be fun. Heard this growing up my whole life. God calls us to hate the sin or love the sinner. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't call us to love the sinner. The Bible calls us to love our neighbor. He called them our neighbor. We called them sinners. Because we see them as projects. And God sees them as people. And you know why we hate sin? We hate sin because it's disgusting to us. It makes us feel uncomfortable. Which is not the reason we're called to hate sin. We're called to hate sin because we hate what sin is doing to our neighbor who we love. Right? We're afraid to be around people that are living sinful lifestyles because they might taint our holiness. They might scuff up our church stuff that we got going. If you really got a prophetic gift, go prophesy to them. I don't need another word. I got journals full of them. But I can take you some places to some people that need to hear something from God. This is what it means. For God to become human. With me, church? Stand on your feet. I don't know how y'all normally end here. 
I have closed three times, made a mess, offended half of you. We will never see the world right as long as we mark them and label them bunch of sinners. They're human beings made in the image of God. Who might be living in ways that are contrary to God's will for their life, but they're still worthy of honor and dignity and respect. You with me? I don't care who you voted for. The person you voted against, they're still worthy of honor, dignity, and respect too. And God's never going to take up your problem with somebody else. He loves the very people you hate. And when we run our mouths, I don't know what someone's he's an idiot. He don't know what he God loves that person. God loves that person. Not only does God love that person, he died for that person. The people that do you wrong, he loves them too. your hands to Jesus we want you to become human through our lives we want you to be made human through us we want you to be made human through us we want to carry you to the world we want to give birth to you in the lives of other people we repent for where we've allowed our own preferences to, to define who you are. We repent for where we've allow, uh, allowed our own thoughts and our own broken thinking and our own ideologies to shape who you are and to shape who other people are. To, we repent of that. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us. We want to travail in birth until you are growing in the lives of others. Just like Mary, we want to enflesh you. We want to enflesh you. We want to make you human. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,